Welcome back, Warriors. Tanse Sego Anibuju, Kwe Nindaluizi Pam Palmeter, and I'm the host of this show, The Warrior Life. This podcast is a show about living the warrior life, a lifestyle that focuses on decolonizing our minds, bodies, and spirits, while at the same time revitalizing our cultures, traditions, laws, and governing practices. And it's also about asserting, living, and defending our sovereignty all over Turtle Island. And our people are warriors in so many ways. Some are out in our territories protecting our lands and waters. Others are protesting police racism and brutality against our peoples. And others take to the streets to provide care and assistance to our people who are homeless and struggling. In so many ways, our warriors to stand in defense of our people and protect our people from Canada's historic and ongoing genocide. And that can be done in so many ways. There are people out there as social workers, as nurses, as lawyers, as policy advisors, in all different ways. While lots has changed since pre-contact, one thing has stayed consistent, the commitment of our people to protect and represent our cultures, our identities, and our nationhood. And today, our people often bring that warrior spirit to their professional roles, including journalism. Our peoples have a long tradition of using our voices to lead our nations, provide advice and guidance, share information and analysis, and raise the alarm on things like laws, policies, and practices that could be harmful to us or our rights. We've always done this at the local level, whether it's clans, houses, villages, longhouses, communities, and nations, and through our own local communication networks, which often included res radio and native newspapers. Our networks literally skyrocketed with the advent of social media platforms, and now we're starting to be represented in mainstream media. And today we are so lucky to have with us Jessica Deer. Jessica, also known as Ganaseo, is Gayankahaga from Ganawage and has been a reporter with CBC since 2018. Prior to her role at CBC, she also worked at the Eastern Door newspaper from Ganawage. And I've been following her work for a while because she not only has a pulse on the issues that we as Native people care about, but she represents our issues in a really respectful way that provides the much needed context that's so often missing in mainstream media. Welcome to the show, Jessica. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Perhaps you'd like to introduce yourself the way you like to. So, um, Gunasio Yojets. Um, my name's Jessica Gunasio Deer. Like you said, I'm from Gunawage. I'm Ganyat Kahaga. Um, and I've, uh, yeah, I've been in journalism since I was uh, 18 years old. I'm, I'm now 30. Uh, so, it's, so it's been quite a while, but the majority of that time I did do a lot of community journalism. And uh, for the past two years, I've, I've been at, at CBC Indigenous and it's, it's been quite the journey. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so exciting. And, and I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about you know, your path to journalism. I mean, you said you've been doing it since 18. So what are the kinds of things that you've been doing? I mean, did you always want to be a journalist? How did you even get started? 
It's it's really uh, funny because I I didn't want to be a journalist. I when I was 18, I I wanted a summer job. I needed a summer job. And in my community, we have this awesome program called the um, for we have this awesome program just for summer students. Um, and I I really wanted to apply for this animation job at the cultural center. Um, I was always like kind of a creative kid. Um, at the time I was studying video, cinema and communications at Dawson College. So I'm like, you know, this animation job would be so awesome. And they actually ended up hiring Walter Scott, who's this amazing comic book artist from my community, an illustrator. And the only place that offered me a job was the Eastern Door. <laughs> um, so I, I never really found out if I was the only person who applied for that position. But um, when I when I told my mom, she laughed at me because she realized, like, you know, you're going to have to interact with people. You're going to have to call people. And I, I've always been known as being a very, very shy person. Um, but that that summer really changed, uh, changed what I wanted to do. And I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I just kind of never left. <laughs> That's awesome. So what what's some of the work that you did? Was it um, like primarily interviews? Was it just story based? Like, what are the kinds of things that you were doing? I did a lot of, uh, I mean, for summer students, like we get a lot of the fluff pieces, right? Yeah. So I, I did that throughout my whole summer. And I, I worked part time there for probably um, about two years. Um, just doing that that type of reporting like not really heavy heavy hitting stuff but um the publisher and editor steve bonspiel did give me an opportunity to write an opinion column um so i started that the fall um right after right after that first summer internship and i did that for for probably eight eight or nine years and i uh I was writing pretty much anything about what i was going through um what I was seeing, reaction to what I was seeing in the news in my in my community, but also writing about my experience of going through um, Sejap and university um, as an as an Indigenous person. Um, but yeah, it was it was. There's, I wrote a lot. I wrote a lot of opinion pieces, and then I ended up getting uh, hired full time later on. And I I kind of gave that up because I realized it was a it was a lot harder work. And also became like a conflict of interest when you have to do, when you have to do reporting, right? So, mm -hmm. so later on, I just uh, I was one of the main staff reporters for the newsroom, and just just lots of community journalism. There's always um, some contentious stuff going on in our community, um, but also it was just really great to to always have a presence with local organizations. Like I, I loved going into the schools and seeing what local students were up to. Um, there's community events that happen every year and you know trying to come up with a new like fresh take on how to cover those was always interesting. Yeah I mean it's got to be one of the most fulfilling but also most difficult when you're covering what's happening in your own community because you know everybody. Yeah that's that's that and that was one of the reasons why I stopped writing my opinion column like I I'm not gonna not gonna lie like when I was young I was a bit of a, a shit disturber <laughs> when it came when it, when it came to my opinions on stuff and and especially I think sometimes my opinions on 
on things that I didn't fully understand or know about. Um, you know, I, I grew up in my community the whole time, but I did go to school um, for high school and obviously post-secondary outside of my community. So I didn't really learn much about, um, I mean, even things like residential schools or Indian day schools or, or things like, just like like basic concepts of colonialism right like I didn't have a full grasp on it um until till you know later in my post-secondary studies and wanting to learn more about my own people so I think learning like going through that as a young adult um didn't I didn't always have like necessarily the most informed opinions or if I look back now, I would just cringe at everything I wrote. Um, but, but yeah, sometimes that got me into some hot water with my own community members. Um, and, and that wasn't always the easiest, like being a young person, um, and just seeing my, my peers, like, you know, going out and having fun and me being like intimidated to go out in public because someone would be like, Hey, there's that newspaper girl or like, Hey, there's a girl who writes that column called Teenage Wasteland. <laughs> like, um, so I, I, I was a bit of a, uh, I wasn't very social during that time. <laughs> But I mean, ultimately, like, we're all in that space. I mean, I look at some of the blogs I wrote, you know, when I first started blogging, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, why? I can't believe I wrote and published that, like, you know, or, or the things I was writing about or talking about, you know, when I was going through university or even after university, I mean, that's the whole like learning process. We learn as we go and, you know, all that stuff, you know, all that history that isn't taught to us or the Canadian public. I mean, that's, that's part of it. And, and I think, you know, in a society, we're allowed to change our views and opinions as, as we grow. And I'm sure there isn't an elder out there that hasn't said, Oh my goodness, my opinions changed a lot since I was 15 and 16 and 17, but Oh my goodness, you know, at the community level, it's such important work, but at the same time, like you said, it's, it's, you know, there's some difficulties, but you know, the, it, it's, it's also about exercising your voice. And if we all waited to exercise our voice until we were world renowned experts in something, if that can ever be, then nobody would really be saying a whole lot. <laughs> so, I mean, there's a, there's a good deal of, of learning and example by exercising your voice. And I'm sure you inspired quite a few people by just getting out there and doing that. I think it was the more I got into reporting to like and actually more serious reporting in in my community is is how I learned so much like I, I think I learned more on the job about my community's history um, you know just from doing that from from talking to so many people from having to do interviews with so many people for for various stories is is that experience has been invaluable and um, that really helped me grow, grow as a person and, and understand the, the history and the, and, and our community better. It's all of it that works together. It's not just the education part, because if you think about even in university education today, you we're not learning all the things we should be learning. It's all that experience that is equally, if not more valuable, like learning on the job, the stuff they just don't teach you. Um, it, that that's invaluable. Um, but 
you know, for people who are interested in journalism, what is your educational background? Like, how do you actually get into it? That pretty much how, was how I got into journalism was, was, was not through education whatsoever. Like, I got that summer job and I, I ended up enjoying it and they needed reporters and they needed part-time workers and, mm -hmm. and that's that's just what I what how I got into the field like I um in college I studied cinema and communications in university I ended up going on to study communi communications at Concordia University so we were doing a lot of like media critiques and that definitely influenced my opinion writing um but but I didn't learn anything about journalism um through education i had to learn everything on the job so i i really you know appreciate the um reporters in our in our newsroom that that helped with with that and of course just reading other journal like other journalism works right to to see how um things are written and even even when i joined when i was hired at cbc um two years ago I think my I, I like I'm still I still feel like I'm learning um, and I, I still feel like my writing from maybe three years ago is has like just has improved so much um, just from from the team of of people that surrounds me. <laughs> well, that makes and that's good. I mean, we all need that. We all need those that kind of you know, advice, guidance, the good and the bad. I mean, I've learned as much from negative experiences, you know, with different positions over time and different colleagues as I have the positive ones, you know, things, ways you want to be, ways you don't want to be. And, and, and now you're at CBC, which is so, but you're at CBC Indigenous, right? Can you explain a little bit about that? So CBC Indigenous is a, is a digital unit with, within the CBC. We're a small team um, across the country. We have um, reporters in, in different cities. Um, and I am the Montreal-based reporter. And um, we cover community-based um, stories that kind of reflect the diversity um, of Indigenous people across, across Canada. And... Um, and you know, one of the things that like, when I was when I was still in my previous previous job, one of the things that really bothered me when I saw content coming out of CBC or mainstream media in general, is when it was a story that I also reported on in my community. Um, and when it was just like, stories that came out that kind of were missing important information or were very superficial mm -hmm. or would have like certain words that were were really um I don't know how to say it but like mm -hmm. they weren't like I wouldn't write that about or how to describe my own community um like those were the types of like things that I would would nitpick over um, when I saw stories about my own community come out. So um, the re a huge reason why I applied for the position for when this when this uh, position opened up um, was because I wanted I wanted to help change that. <laughs> like I wanted the way my communities reported on to to actually be reflective of how someone from 
from Gahnawake would would report on it. But also to do that, if if you know, if I'm seeing stuff that's wrong um, with how my community is reported on, other communities might be experiencing the same thing, right? So my whole goal working with CBC Indigenous is to, you know, to do what I feel is a, like appropriate for, I don't know how to word that, let me rephrase. Mm. I think I, I just wanna see, you know, how I report on my community be reflected in how I report on other indigenous communities. Right. Exactly. So, for example, reporting on um, Guyankahaga people as opposed to saying Mohawk people. Yeah, and that's that's a, a big thing. Like, I, I tend to st still slip in Mohawk um, in some of my stories. Um, but a, a huge thing that I that I'm trying to be aware of is is to use that. Mm -hmm. um, to use Ganyakahaga and maybe put Mohawk in brackets in the first first mm -hmm. first uh, sentence, so people who don't know what Ganyakahaga is knows that we're talking about Mohawk people. But then to use those those words and the same thing when I'm writing about um, uh, the Mohawk language or stories related to the Mohawk language, I'm going to use Ganyakaha instead of um, the Mohawk language. Um, and I think that's really important important to because for me language language is super important and and you know if if we're gonna start you know like Canadians or other even other indigenous people need to know these words and if they're not gonna learn they're not gonna know them mm -hmm. if we don't start using them <laughs> yeah exactly and in doing that it's also raising the bar for others in mainstream media to do that for other nations too, so that it's not always the same. So that it's not, they don't always just defer to what's the easiest to say, what have we always said, how do we know them as, as opposed to really respecting how all our different nations want to be known. So to me, it sounds like your own culture and identity um, has impacted the way you see journalism. One hundred percent. Like, I mean, for those who don't know, like Mohawk isn't even a Mohawk word. <laughs> so, and I and I try to incorporate other Ganyakaha words within my reporting too, but but with also explaining them in what they are in English. And it's just a little bit of me sprinkling in a little bit of education in there in those stories too. <laughs> Well, that's what I really like about your stories. You're not just, you know, reporting this happened on this day or this event, you know, is going on, but it's every, it seems like in every single one of your stories that I have read, you learn something, you know, and in addition to just, you know, not using the word Mohawk or, you know, even how we change our language and and how we think about these things i think it's important and and i think there's there's a real strength in journalism also being about education as opposed to informa just information and reporting i mean uh, how important do you think that educational element is especially for native stories i think there's like a, a bit of a like a two-prong or i guess the way i come at my stories are with with two different two different areas and I mean we we do know that um 
our audience for that reads CBC Indigenous content, you know, there are a lot of Canadians who who read it. So part of it is for me is wanting to be an educational, but also like I do want to write stories that that you know aren't necessarily targeting just Canadians, right? Mm-hmm. Like I want to make news too for for our people. Mm-hmm. But in doing so, like, yes, sometimes we do have to explain. There's like a lot of context that I that I end up um, having to incorporate in a lot of my stories because the general public just doesn't know about so much thing, so many things. I look at it as a way for um, other Indigenous people too to to learn about other nations because being Ganyakahaga, I don't know everything about every other First Nation in Canada, you know, or, or Métis or Inuit. Um, so I'm sure that pro- even providing a bit of that context and education is beneficial for, for other, other nations as well. Not just, not just writing it, you know, for a Canadian audience. Well, yeah, and that has been so incredibly helpful to me when I see, you know, different people in journalism, um, especially Native people in mainstream, you know, but also independent in social media, actually sharing that information because, you know, I'm Mi'kmaq. That doesn't mean I can speak other languages or I know anything about any other First Nation or traditional nation. And you know, but yet we're expected, you know, like on a media platform or policy platform or, you know, just, you know, engagement work to be able to speak to the issues. And I think one of the the most difficult thing that, you know, the media has struggled with over the years is really getting away from this idea that we are all one mythical race of Indians and everything's the same and, and 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 that's you know simply not the case and it's for us to be able to you know learn about you know what is Guyankahaga people saying about themselves and how do they want to be referenced and what's information that's relevant to them and how is that different from the Haida Nation or the Wet'suwet'en or Mi'kmaq people I think that is just as important for us as native people and and like i really appreciate how much you incorporate that into your stories thank you and that's what i i why um you know earlier i said we're (laughs) cbc indigenous is a small team Mm -hmm. we are really a small team there's about five reporters with our unit so we have um, someone in Halifax, we have someone in Ottawa, in Toronto, in Winnipeg, in Vancouver, um, and then myself in Montreal. And I, I would really like to see see our unit grow and to have a reporter in every CBC newsroom because, um, you know, uh, all those, like all those Indigenous perspectives, like we might not be, um, might not be reflective with, you know, just five Indigenous reporters, right? <laughs> that are specifically with our unit. There, we're really lucky that there's there's more um, there's more than that in in terms of Indigenous reporters at the CBC. Um, but I would just like to see more where we have our our mandate specifically to do Indigenous storytelling, um, and you know to see more nations reflected because. Um, you know, five of us can do it all. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sadly. But I mean, 
it's making a huge difference. Just the fact that there's a CBC Indigenous, wow, like shouldn't every media outlet have some kind of specialized focus on, you know, like in an, at least an Indigenous team? I mean, you may be small, but that's, that's really important. Yeah, and it, that's what I, I, I don't think I, I would be in mainstream media if it wasn't for this unit. Um, you know, if you asked me three years ago, um, I probably, and I was asked, you know, before, would you ever want to work in mainstream media? And my answer was always no. <laughs> um, and when I saw this position come up that it was specifically to be doing Indigenous storytelling um, with an Indigenous team, like that to me was that's what made me feel comfortable to to apply for a journalism position outside of my community. Um, before that, I think it was there was a lot of issues of intimidation. Like I was just I felt I didn't feel like I was maybe a good enough reporter. I didn't feel like maybe like a place like that was um, comfortable or, or safe for me to be in um, or that I would enjoy it. Um, you know, I journalism for me and it's not the case for every Indigenous journalist. Um, you know, for me, I love what I do. I love what I do because of Indigenous storytelling. Like I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to be doing any, anything else, any other types of journalism. Well, that, I mean, that's just so awesome for the rest of us because we get to benefit from it. Um, so at, at CBC Indigenous, like what is your role? Is it, you know, you do a lot of research and interviews and write a couple stories a week? Is there other kind of work that goes on behind the scenes that we as the general public don't see? Um, yeah, I, I think there's there's a, some things that go, go on behind the scenes that um, maybe people don't realize <laughs> is that not just our team but other indigenous journalists at cbc do there's a, there's so many of us that do a lot of like ad, advocating behind the scenes mm -hmm. to make sure that the rest of the cbc is kind of aware of of certain issues um as well as um making sure our stories are told uh properly um you know for a while, CBC has had this policy when, when there's Indigenous um, stories, uh, the comment sections have to be turned off. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something for our unit we don't even think about. All the stories that come out of our unit, are the, the comment sections are off. But sometimes, you know, there's, we're not the only ones doing Indigenous reporting, right? So there, it comes from other newsrooms. Uh, across the CBC and I find sometimes they forget <laughs> to turn off those comment sections and I am not you know I am that person that will be like hi guys you forgot <laughs> to turn this off <laughs> well, um, good though or 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 you know I think uh you know, I get I get flagged from from readers or from community members all the time about, you know, this isn't quite right, or maybe this is not the right word to be like that should be used or like problematic language or like mm -hmm. just a whole bunch of things that um, community members will reach out to to report or like reporters with our team. And so, you know, we hear we hear when when CBC 
um, you know, doesn't do stories justice. Like we definitely hear hear from from community members, um, but often the times like we know about that. Like we are we have already we saw it, we flagged <laughs> it, and we're trying to change it. Um, so I ju I just want people to to know that um, a lot of the stuff that you're concerned about, we're probably concerned about too. But it's so great that you're actually there, not just doing your specific job of, you know, bringing Native voices and Native stories to mainstream media, but also in the background, trying to make things better for all the other people that are in journalism that may still be making the same mistakes or, uh, you know, like all of these issues that community people are concerned about, you're, you're concerned about as well. But I mean, that's, that's an invaluable kind of resource for mainstream media to have. And it just surprises me that everyone wouldn't be in that context, you know, to, to be able to learn from that. Yeah, it's, I, I, I think just as a, as an Indigenous journalist working for, um, you know, an, an institute, a Canadian institution like the CBC, it can get a little bit exhausting. I'm not going to lie about that. It, mm -hmm. it can be very exhausting um, because we're not, you know, we're trying, like you said, we're trying to make this place a this, we're trying to make the CBC a better place for Indigenous people. So that's reflecting and representing Indigenous people in, in content and in stories, but also making it a better place for Indigenous journalists. Um, so that, you know, it doesn't take like, you know, mm -hmm. someone 10 years to be in journalism to feel comfortable to be you know to 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 work at the cbc like that like that's not okay right um we need indigenous journalists we need more indigenous journalists at the cbc and they need to they need to be there and feel like it's a place that is safe for them is going to welcome them is going to support them it's going to value them value them in their work and um i think that's that's just um it can it just can be really exhausting when mm. sometimes all you want to do is like your job right <laughs> you just want to go and and talk to people and write your stories and and um file your stories and then continue doing that but it's there's i think a lot of stuff behind the scenes that 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 can be very exhausting and draining to indigenous journalists in an, in an institution like that well, it's like having two jobs. I think about all the, you know, Native people in universities or at law firms or working in all these different professions where, you know, they're either the only one or there's a small team and they're as much engaged in this, you know, how to educate their specific institution as they are in doing their own work. And they all seem to have the exact same, you know, thoughts as you do that it's very exhausting to be constantly engaged in it because for most of us it's not like you can just let it go oh that's okay they can just keep using these racist terms i need to focus on my story it's it's something that we're compelled you know to to continually educate until it's not an issue anymore yeah, and I, I think my co like my colleagues that I that I interact with more um, really understand that. Like I I was told by a colleague today, it's very evident that you care. <laughs> and it's like yes, of course I care. Like one of the reasons why I I I used to be so nitpicking and like critical on Twitter um, and sometimes still am about about journalism is because I want 
you know, I'm trying to raise that bar for other journalists where, you know, they can't just be doing the bare minimum when it comes to Indigenous reporting. You know, it's 2020 and we, we everyone has to do much better. <laughs> but, you know, we also learn, you know, outside of the stories that you write, your comments on Twitter are actually good tips or questions for other people to turn their mind to it. I mean, because we all can't be thinking about all of these things in all different contexts at the same time. So I actually learn so much from people like you on social media who ask these questions, you know, and, and ask them in a legitimate way. Uh, it's terrible that on social media, I have to say, this is an actual question, <laughs> you know, as opposed to a statement, but, you know, questions around, hey, is anybody else using the term Mohawk or is everybody using Gayankahaga and do you do this for other nations? Like, these are really valid questions that um, are, are good for other people involved in journalism or any kind of work that deals with Native people to really think about. And are you doing this and why and why not and should we be? 100%. <laughs> no, so I like... I. You know, I really appreciate social media. I know it has a lot of downfalls, but there's some good to it. And, you know, like I really appreciate how you approach each story that you write. Like you seem to give so much thought to how to approach, you know, Native issues with respect, both in terms of the context. I mean, you have a word count and a time limit and you can only provide so much context, but also in terms of perspective. So reflecting native voices and one really good example is the recent story you did that i just love about the you know mohawk warrior flag it's it's an example of something that most people recognize at least in the native community you see it at every protest you see it at you know every occupation but not everybody knows the origin of it or its significance. I mean, it's this massive symbol of our resistance. You know, we're still here and we're still protecting our territories, but not everyone knew the background. And what I like most about how you wrote that story is, and I'm sure you knew a lot about the warrior flag, but it wasn't just you saying, you know, here's this about the warrior flag. It was, you know, talking to other people and really talking about this origin and where it came from and giving credit, you know, to the person who designed it and what the, the symbolism and meaning is. I mean, that was an awesome story. And I'm just wondering, like, how important do you think it is that we do this more in journalism? So important. I know for something like the 30th anniversary of of what's referred to as the Oka crisis. Um, you know, if you talk to someone like uh, Ellen Gabriel from Gunasadage, you know, she'll, she'll tell you a lot of the media coverage is very superficial and just scratches the surface um, from, from 30 years ago, but also all anniversary coverage um, that has followed. And, um, you know, I take, take that to heart. Um, and I wanted to do something that, that, that dig, dug a little deeper than than just the surface and um for me you know actually it was i only learned about louis hall when i was in, um, in my job at the eastern door um i mean he he died when i was 
about three years old. So I, I didn't, I didn't grow up really knowing who he was. Um, I of course saw the flag all across my community, but um, a few, a uh, few years ago, I was working on this feature that we used to have for the Eastern door called the blast from the past where we, we would take an old photo and kind of write about what the, what the photo was. And anyone who has me on, on social media or during that time, I was always begging people for old photos um, just for looking, you know, to look for something to write about and the cultural center in our community sent me this photo from the, um, like reoccupation of, of Ganyanke and it had Louis Hall and that was the first time I heard about for one the history of Ganyanke but also who Louis Hall was um, and and it was just kind of slipped in there that oh yeah he he designed the warrior flag too <laughs> um, so that that was when I first learned about him and um, when I was thinking earlier this year about what kind of stories I wanted to do for the for the 30th anniversary um, you know, that came to mind because in February there were, you know, things going on with, with, um, with Sudan, uh, hereditary chiefs, um, you know, opposing the gas link pipeline in, in Northern British Columbia, as well as all the solidarity action, um, with rail, rail blockades and, and protests across the country. And there was a rail blockade in my own community. And of course, there were tons of media there. And my, um, again, I was just seeing all these images of the warrior flag. And it, it made me think about um, the coverage that I, I saw looking through the archives at CBC um, were very, very similar to uh, to what was going on in February and there's always that image of the warrior flag but there's never the context of what it is so for me that was a really important story to do and I, I did learn much more about Louis Hall's life um, just by doing that reporting and um, and things that it, like even even now with the reporting I do, I'm, I always learn something new. <laughs> well, and it benefits the rest of us, you know, people who have been using that flag, who, you know, have a great deal of respect for it. And, you know, so, so much symbolizes our resistance, but to know the origin of it is so much more meaningful and to be able to give credit. And, you know, we just learn so much by a story like that, when everybody else was covering, you know, what happened at that time, whether or not the land issues have been resolved, and those are like super important things, you know, um, different federal, provincial, native relations, but here, the symbol of our resistance is literally at every single occupation and land defense today, and, you know, it's important, I think, that sharing that information with other native people but canadians too that it's it's really important and what it actually means it's not about violence that at its heart it's about peace and peaceful relations and and that's like it's just really really powerful and then you do these other stories which you know 10 years ago i don't think ever would have been covered in cbc or any kind of mainstream media like your recent one about how 
three little baby books are being written in the Gayangahaga language. And that's just so powerful. But I don't think mainstream media in the past would have actually gotten why that's so powerful. Because, you know, language is at the heart of our laws and our identities and you know what we're trying to reclaim and revitalize and rebuild and i just think that story is also very powerful what made you like think to to do this story <laughs> um i have the the two ladies who are um you know started the, that book project um i have them both on facebook i've known them for a long time um i've written interviewed them for other stories and when they launched this of course it was it was all over social media and you know this as soon as i saw it i'm like this is something that is a, like so great adorable um and i think uh, like our readers would really appreciate you know having having a story but also you know like i i, I you know there's there's so many there's so many times where, you know, my community is only, or not even just my community, but uh, other sto other stories about Kanyakahaga uh, people, about other Indigenous people in Quebec. It's like we're, you know, we're only in the news when there's controversy, right? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the stereotypes that, that you know, our, our unit um, and my role as a journalist is trying to, um, to not, I don't know how to word that, but it, mm -hmm. like it's one of the things we're trying not to, you know, fall into where we're not just covering controversy and standoffs and um, issues of contention between Indigenous and non-Indigenous neighbors and things like that, like, or issues of, you know, whenever, like, I don't want to just do stories that here's another story about an indigenous person facing an, in, an injustice like yes those stories are important um but I also want to you know we want to see ourselves reflected in mainstream media and I think you know that includes stories that are are I don't want to say positive but like are you know uplifting stories um really reflecting the diversity and the resiliency and the just like great things that are going on in communities or interesting things that are going on in communities and for me like having a story like this where it's you know these these having a team of volunteers trying to um, contribute to the revitalization of Ganyageha, it to me fits that. And um, it's just awesome. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not a, a young, I'm not a, a mother. <laughs> I'm not an expecting mother, but like something when I saw that, like that excited me to, to see. And I'm sure, um, you know, having a story like that, like other communities could appreciate that, right? Oh my goodness. Yeah, it jumped right out at me. I mean, my kids are grown, but I was thinking, wow, this is just, this is exactly what we need. We need our babies speaking our language and, you know, we need to carry it forward. It's just, it was so powerful. And you know, something else that that, that story made me think of, because, you know, traditionally that wouldn't have been covered in mainstream media and it made me think that you know with the advent of social media 
more of our voices were out there in a variety of forms. You know, whether it's a community-based newspaper that gets shared on social media or people doing their own blogs now and, you know, those kinds of things. And then we share it all over the different social media platforms. Well, by, by bringing Native people on to mainstream media like CBC Indigenous does, they're able to kind of make a bridge or there's this convergence between social media and the stories we tell each other and we want to hear about um, because there was no other platform and you know bringing that into mainstream media so that we see the stories that we care about um, reflected in mainstream media in a way that was only done in say independent community or social media before and that to me that's really powerful I mean seeing that that story about the baby books. Oh my goodness, that just made me so happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like a, I, you know, one of the the uh, I guess principles of CBC and um, Duncan McHugh has this guide into reporting in reporting in Indigenous communities. And you know, one of the the key principles is about building relationships with Indigenous communities and Indigenous pe people. And I think that's one of the huge challenges or barriers that non-Indigenous people face. So they don't tend to find those stories. Um, it's just the, the, the controversies that like end up popping up. But for me, you know, of course, I'm building relation. I have a relationship with my own community, but when I can't physically be in a, a community, like social media is such an important space. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, a lot. I have, <laughs> I have a lot of Indigenous people from across Quebec and across Canada on on my social medias, and that's that's mm -hmm. why that's how I find a lot of my stories. Um, and I, for me, that's how I, how I build connections when I physically can't be in a community um, or even during the, during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness for social media. Um, but even that, like when I was, when I was doing opinion writing for the Eastern door, it's not like really anyone outside of the community read my opinion pieces. Like they were printed in the newspaper. They weren't really put online, but I, I, I did you know, express a lot of that through, through Twitter. And that's how I, I got my foot into the door in mainstream media as well as an opinion writer. Um, I didn't particularly like being an opinion writer for mainstream media because you get, you end up getting a lot of hate mail. <laughs> yeah, so true. <laughs> um, but that's something that like, that, you know, writing a Twitter thread got me an opportunity to actually write my first opinion piece for the CBC. Now that I'm a, a reporter with the CBC, I don't write opinion pieces because of our, our journalistic standards and practices uh, um, policy. Um, but I also wouldn't want to be doing that anyway. <laughs> I like reporting much, matter, much, much more. Um, but yeah, I think uh, social media is, is a good, a good, um, peek into to what some of the issues are in communities and um i think just non-indigenous journalists need to to start paying a bit more uh, paying a bit more attention because you know those stories are are out there yeah and and it's how we're engaging with one another because none of us can be everywhere you know but it's so nice to be able to stay connected and see what's happening in different 
you know, nations across the country. And even, you know, with our brothers and sisters in the southern part of Turtle Island, you know, and in some of the tribal governments and um, Native American communities down there and what they're doing. And, you know, it really helps us, you know, build solidarity and stay connected because our issues are inherently interrelated. And, you know, another thing like I really like about your writing is you're not just looking at whatever is the newsy of the day, you know, which has been for months now, COVID, COVID, COVID. But, but you're also making sure that we're not forgetting about, like we as in, you know, the big Canadian public are, are not forgetting about the issues that we Native people haven't forgotten about. Like your article on, um, you know, a year after the National Inquiry into Murder to Missing Indigenous Women and Girls, there's been very little progress. I mean, your focus was on Quebec, but it was really this larger story about how can we be a year later and there's no progress. Now that's something we care about. Now in the great big giant mainstream media factory, that might not be a massive issue compared to something like COVID. But for us, like it's still going on and it's really important. And I think one of your contributions you know, being at CBC Indigenous is to keep reminding people, well, you know, we still consider this very important. This is kind of, this is life and death for us. Yeah, and I, like we have done a lot of COVID reporting, you know, the first month or, or two months, it felt like, I honestly felt like, am I going to run out of story ideas or story pitches, um, you know, into this pandemic. <laughs> I, I honestly thought about that. But even around around COVID-19, there's tons of stories. Um, and it's actually a huge reminder that I should probably do another story related to COVID-19. <laughs> COVID um, but yeah, there, while this pandemic is going on, there's still plenty of Indigenous um, issues that are, that are still, you know, affecting our communities. Um, and that need to be reported on and, and not be forgotten about because of a pandemic. And that was, I think, the number one thing I heard when I when I wrote that story about the about the inquiry is that and, and other stories that I that I've written over the past few months is that they don't want this pandemic to, you know, to be used as an excuse mm -hmm. um, to sweep other important issues under the rug. Yeah, I mean, and that's so important because all of that is what makes the pandemic worse for us. And I think yeah. it's important that you keep reporting on it. So here's a question. What's the most favorite story you have ever written? Is there something that just you're just so proud of? I, I mean, I, I like all my stories. <laughs> <laughs> That's I a good they, answer. <laughs> but I, I did write um, in December, I wrote there, it was the anniversary of Gunawage's language law. So I wanted to write about that because the community organized a kind of like a commemorative gathering um, for first language uh, speakers in the community. So there was lots of elders there. They also were commemorating people who contributed to the language law, which was, um, I mean, it's kind of a very symbolic law in terms of just like it's envisioned for, for the community to one day go back to um, 
having Ganyagaha as the primary language of like commerce and communication and um, it, it was just really nice to see all the elders and um, many of those people that I talked to and interviewed, it wasn't the first time I've interviewed them, but it, I just always appreciate having elders and language speakers, um, uh, you know, willing to be interviewed by me. And one of the people that I talked to was Melvin Daibo, who um, unfortunately passed away uh, last month or, or two months ago. Um, but it, it just, I just really like that story because it, it, you know, if if I hadn't have done that story, we, we I wouldn't have had that interview with with Melvin Daibo, and and um, I just really really appreciate when elders take the time to speak with media because their their words, their wisdom, and their knowledge is invaluable and, and they're not always going to be around. No, and you've, you've in essence preserved it now for other people. You know, it's, it's always there. It'll be there for younger people. It'll be there for researchers. It'll be there for community people. It's, um, Oh, I, I only wish that we just could document everything in the brains of all of our elders, all the language and experience and wisdom that they have. Um, yeah, and that's why he, he had, the interview I did with him was probably one of my favorites. <laughs> you could just tell he was very passionate about his, student, his students. He also taught at um, Concordia University, yeah. as well as he had community classes in Montreal at, at Native Montreal, which is a, a friendship center. And he was just so passionate about, and just the way he, he spoke about his students and not wanting to scare them and intimidate them because Ganyagaha is a very complicated language to learn. Um, it was just one of my favorite interviews to do and and um, I'm very I was very sad to, to hear that he passed away and um, it's just when I when I look back to at a lot of the stories that I did with elders with those blast from the past features I, I used to do at the Eastern Door like a lot of the elders have passed on and when I was younger, I I, I kind of didn't really like interviewing elders. I didn't really like interviewing children because it what they weren't easy to interview. Like, and this is coming from someone who was very shy when, like, when I started journalism. So doing an interview wasn't the easiest thing for me. And um, and um, today, you know, interviewing kids and elders is like one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> Um, I just like really appreciate those stories and uh, even though something might not be my favorite story I've I've I really appreciate everyone who takes the time to to speak with me well and that's a positive experience in and of itself meeting people talking to people um, learning from people I can only imagine what that must be like on you know a regular basis especially when you know you're in your community so much so, you know, based on all of your experience, you know, even be before coming to mainstream media and now, have you seen any positive changes over the last 20 years in mainstream media? Um, yes and no. I mean, obviously, there are, there are, there are a growing number of Indigenous journalists, um, and there's plenty of indig Indigenous journalists who have, you know, paved the way um, mm -hmm. 
you know, for, for a place like the CBC to be a better place for me than it was maybe for them. And, and that's really important. Um, in terms of media coverage, I mean, just looking, looking through the coverage from the, from the 1990 Oka crisis, uh, when researching for the stories that I, I've been writing, um, you know, I, I went through CBC's archives and we're not, you know, Peter Mansbridge on the National isn't calling us the Indians anymore. But <laughs> the way the way things get covered or framed, you know, I still I still do see some of those those same tropes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and that was evident in the way uh, with the the stories around Witsuwin and Solidarity Action were covered. Um, so that is very concerning. Mm-hmm. But I just I'm hopeful and. Um, You know, I want Indigenous people to know that there are journalists like myself, um, like our team, and other Indigenous journalists at the CBC and across mainstream media that are trying to make it more reflective and, and, and better coverage. So if you had to identify the top main things that need to change in mainstream media right now, obviously it would be more Indigenous journalists, reporters, producers, that kind of thing. Is there anything else that you think that needs to change? From what I've seen in the last two years being at the CBC, there's definitely a willingness and like a desire for Indigenous stories. And that's from like from Canadians in general, as from our our readers, there's a desire for those stories, but there's also a desire, you know, from from the CBC, from people within the CBC. And I think that is a good sign. Um, I think it's just a matter of like how those stories are being told by non-Indigenous people. Like I think, there needs to be um, issue like issues need to be addressed um, about you know how can like they need to build those relationships too with indigenous mm-hmm. people, not just with you know a list of five people that are always on the CBC, <laughs> um, like not their five to like go to people. Um, and that include like, and those are challenges that Indigenous journalists face all the time, right? Like, we're trying to build connections, we're trying to tell stories, and 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 tell stories that haven't been told, and 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 have voices that aren't necessarily always in in media, and trying to build those connections to have people trust to tell our story, their stories. Um, and non-Indigenous journalists need to do that same work. And that's what I'm seeing is not being done enough. Right. And I mean, that would make a huge difference as well, because that actually requires a lot of effort and it requires a lot of time behind the scenes um, where you're not just calling on someone when you need an interview, but also how are you going to know whose other stories should be covered unless you're actually talking or engaging with other people at the same time. Yeah. And that's, I think like a huge part of my job. I talk to a lot of people, not everyone I talk to is comfortable doing, you know, being interviewed Mm -hmm. and, you know, that goes into building trust with them. And, um, you know, sometimes you just end up might having to talk to an elder for like two hours. (laughs) (laughs) And you might not get anything that is, you know, quote, unquote, clippable for your story. (laughs) Like, 
but that's that for me is worth it mm-hmm. and is a part of the job and I think you know deadlines and the daily grind of daily reporting and stuff like I understand that that just might not be um feasible for some journalists to do especially if that's you know they're just assigned here's what's happening and it just so happens to be in an an indigenous community but that's the the kind of thing that needs to shift and that mentality about how to approach stories and building those connections and you know you can't you know you can't just you can't just rely on your indigenous colleagues to do all the work for you and then here give you a phone number there you go (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) because that doesn't necessarily mean that that person on the other end of the phone actually wants to talk to this unknown cold call reporter yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so I i was wondering you know, because one of the things about social media, there's so much good about it, you know, access to information and access to one another and voices heard that aren't heard before and just the speed at which we get to learn that something's happening. Um, You know, there's also the downside with all the hate mail and the trolls and bots and things that, you know, we never could have even contemplated. But it's also... I've seen it's also a way of getting informal feedback on the things that people write about like you must notice from time to time when people say hey I really like this about your story and they retweet it or hey you said Mohawk instead of Guyankahaga and maybe you should use our name more often I mean is is there a way at CBC or is it just an individual thing where you get to uh, incorporate some of that feedback? Oh, all the time. Like, I, I think it's really, you know, I, <laughs> I really appreciate every, every piece of feedback I get, um, whether it's, it's positive or critical or even if it's nasty, <laughs> you know, I, um, it, when I was younger, that's really how I learned, right? <laughs> yeah. When people get mad at a certain thing, like you can, you, you learn real quick in the hard yeah. way. Um, with CBC, I think it, it is really important to, to listen to that feedback. Um, but also like to be cognizant that it might not be coming directly to me, mm-hmm. um, but to be cognizant of what I'm seeing on, on social media, if it's a reaction to my story or other stories, whether it's, you know, with our unit or across the CBC and what the issues are, um, you know, are, are the issues complaining about how something is spelled? Um, you know, is it how, um, I can't think of a, an example right now, but definitely, like, we're paying attention. <laughs> like, titles. There seems to be this trend now on Twitter, a more recent trend that says, here, CBC or whichever organization, we're going to rewrite the title of your story for you so that it's more accurate or more reflective. And we see a lot of that in the, you know, especially when we're talking about police racism against Indigenous peoples, you know, that kind of thing. But I've, I've noticed that trend of quite a few people saying, hey, you know, this, this title of your story is inappropriate and we're going to rewrite it for you. And people actually, you know, copying CBC or whichever news entity it is and saying, here, you need to do better. 
Yeah. And like, like I I said earlier about, you know, when, when we, when we hear community members upset about certain things in CBC's coverage, like there's a high probability that we as reporters with CBC Indigenous are well aware of it and are concerned about it too, and are trying to do something behind the scenes. Like there's that, (laughs) that happens often. And, um, but that's what I, I think it's really important for community members to still vocal vocalize that, but also like don't be afraid to 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 reach out to me, reach out to my colleagues, um, because sometimes I don't catch everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I mean, if it's some if it's a, like a problematic headline, if it's something wrong in the story, mm-hmm. um, if the comment sections are open, mm. you know, I I appreciate when when people flag me on that because I I don't. I don't read all of the CBC content that's out there. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I can't imagine. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's something that I think is important, and and you know, I'm I'm always going to try to do my best to to make sure that that the way the way stories are framed, the way headlines are written, um, are reflective and and fair to Indigenous people. You know, and I hope too um, that, you know, in your group and even, you know, outside of CBC Indigenous, that there's a way of supporting one another because, you know, with comments of any kind or with social media, there can be comments that have nothing to do with providing positive or critical feedback to something, but are just hateful or racist or sexist or just completely personal attacks that have nothing to do with the stories that are being written. And I I hope there's some way that you're all, you know, taking good care of you and taking good care of each other to not let any of that stuff be absorbed. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I think it's, it's great when we can, when we can lean on our, on our colleagues for, for emotional support. You know, I I definitely am, am, a person within our unit that gets um, hate mail quite a bit <laughs> and it, it can weigh on you because it's not you know I, I wouldn't mind when if I get hate mail that, that says like oh you're a trash journalist like do better or like something like that because I'm I'm confident enough that yeah you know in my own skills and <laughs> journalism that I'm not doing anything terrible yeah um um, but it does weigh on you when it's, when it, even when it's not necessarily directed at you, but directed at the story you wrote about or the issue. Um, you know, I write a lot about, um, the Indian day school settlement, the 60 scoop settlement. Mm. I've done some residential school stories and whenever I write those stories where it involves, you know, compensation, I get a, a slew of nasty emails from people about, you know, the Indians wanting more money and handouts and stuff like that. And it's, it, it does weigh on you because I didn't, I never would have thought, um, you know, writing those stories, I never would have thought someone would, would mm-hmm. think that like, and, and be so hateful and, in their, in their messages. Um, but yeah, that's why, that's why it's also important to have more indigenous colleagues. Yes. Um, and to have more Indigenous people in those spaces because they could really, um, yeah, we need better, we need better coverage and, but we also need some, some emotional support. (laughs) 
Well, it says a lot that you're all still there, all still trying to pave the way, despite those challenges, you know, internally, externally, you know, personally, you're, you're paving the way for other people and you're doing all the hard work that hopefully won't have to be done again in the future. And, you know, I, I hope, I hope you take care of you because there's a lot of young people, um, coming up behind and lots who may also want to be native journalists who say, Oh, I just, I want to be like her. I want to be like him. And I want to be a, a journalism, you know, in journalism, I want to be the producer. I want to be the writer. And so, you know, given the current context and given everything that, you know, do you have any advice for, you know, the next generation who may be just graduating high school or going into university or working at community newspapers who really want to get into journalism, mainstream as Indigenous peoples, do you have any ad advice for them? I, I think the, the, the biggest thing is that you are, your work and your, just you as a person will be value, valued and is needed in mainstream media and you know I wish I had someone like that someone tell me something like that when I was younger because I I didn't feel like I had a space in mainstream media um and I I don't want to scare people <laughs> um because journalism is hard work Mm -hmm. but it's so worth it it's such a it's it can be so rewarding um like for me it's not about the stories that get published and uh, like the scoops and stuff like that for me like the most valuable part of my job is being able to to talk to people and and then to t for them to trust me to tell their stories um and that is it's just an an amazing um, experience to talk to so many awesome and amazing Indigenous people. Um, and Indigenous journalists who, or ind young Indigenous youth who might be interested in journalism, um, you know, you don't also, you also don't have to do Indigenous journalism, you could do other types of journalism. The thing that I like about <clears throat> about what I do is that we kind of get to do everything because when you're telling stories about indigenous people, you end up kind of telling sports stories, you end up doing politics, you end up doing art stories. And that's what I like because I get to do a little bit of everything. Um, I'm not just, I'm not just a, a sports reporter or a, or, you know, politics or, or covering arts and stuff like that. Like I, it, it's really awesome to be able to, to do all of that, but through a, a lens of Indigenous people. Um, that's so great. And I, I think um, also just to Indigenous youth or Indigenous people, like, try journalism. I, I did not have any interest or idea that I would be a journalist today when I was 18 years old. Like I just fell into the position and ended up loving it. And I think if indigenous youth want to try it, like go for it. <laughs> you might end up loving it and finding a career. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And I'm sure, you know, listening to you and listening to this podcast, um, one message comes loud and clear that the work is 
worthy, it's valuable, it's having a major impact, and we need to do more of it. So, you know, hopefully all these young Native journalists out there hear this and be inspired and, and go on to do great things. And, you know, I can't thank you enough for coming on this podcast and sharing, you know, your knowledge, but also your experiences around journalism and why it's so important to make these changes. Like, I really appreciate the work that you're, do you're doing because you're helping to change mainstream media and you're having a real impact. And that's incredible. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you for having me. And thanks to all of our podcast listeners for tuning into the Warrior Life podcast. And what I'll do is I'll post a link to her profile on CBC so you can check out all of her stories, including the, you know, the ones about the warrior flag and also the amazing story about the baby books being written in Kayankahaga language. Um, and if you like this episode, please consider supporting my podcast by subscribing, liking, and sharing each episode, especially with other social justice activists and journalists and, you know, people who really care about getting our stories out there. And don't forget, we have a new podcast just for kids. It's called the Warrior Kids Podcast, where we celebrate everything Indigenous and help educate about Native rights so that we can bring kids of all backgrounds together to become warriors for social justice and earth justice. What we're trying to do is inspire education for action in our youth. You can access all of these things from my website www.pampometer.com. From there you can follow me on social media and we can connect and keep the conversation going. Till next time, keep living a warrior life. Walaliag.